Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. You want to say, hey, the market's going up, I want to sell it. That's your choice. Um, you are you are the owner. We at that point work for you. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Ash Patel, and I'm with today's guest, Jim Shields. Jim is joining us from Jacksonville, Florida. He is a partner at SI Homes and co-founder at 18 Summers. They build new construction properties in high-growth markets in Florida. Jim's portfolio consists of build-to-rent, new construction, single families, duplexes, and quads, and 5,000 buildable lots in Florida. Jim, thank you for joining us, and how are you today? Ash, doing great. Good to be here. It's our pleasure. Jim, before we get started, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Yeah, I've been a real estate investor for 24 years. Took that leap a long time ago. Scary, uh, but necessary. And I've never looked back and I'm glad I did. I started uh, by buying, fixing and reselling or renting homes. And then about 10 years ago, when the market started to get a little screwy with, uh, you know, what was available for fixer uppers. My now building partner and I said, well, what if we built our own investment properties instead of look for ones to fix up? And uh, we've never looked back. That was uh, about 10 years ago. We did about $3 million worth of property that year. And fast forward to last year, we did $185 million in sales. So I am a, a big component of the build to rent industry right now uh, and of Florida as well. Can you give us the definition of build to rent? Because it's a new term that's being thrown out. It's been around forever, but... What is build to rent? Yeah, build to rent is is taking doing properties in your area uh, and not fixer uppers, but starting from scratch. Build to rent is specifically building a property, and we work in smaller properties, single family, duplexes, and quads. But building that with the pure intention of renting the property. So your target customers are they investors or are they homeowners? Yeah, no, we're, we're, although we sell some of our property to retail buyers just to have some retail sales, our niche is selling to uh, individual investors who are looking to build a portfolio without the more heavy involvement with older homes. Uh, and we work with anywhere from individual investors right up to family offices and institutions that we've built for. 
and we will build either infill lots and spot lots in existing neighborhoods, or we will develop an entire neighborhood for some of our larger buyers of just rental properties. Jim, for the most part, are these sold off individually or do investors typically buy blocks of five or 10 or more? You know, our average investor with us, Ash, buys normally about three to seven properties. Uh, our institutional buyers or, or um, family offices, you know, they'll buy anything from 50 to uh, 200 plus properties with us. Uh, but our individual investors normally building a portfolio will be about three to seven properties they buy. And that's a combination, again, of single family duplexes and quads. And is this a passive investment for the investor? Do you do the lease ups, management, maintenance, or is that something me as the investor would have to take care of? No, we do all that. Uh, and again, we have been doing that for investors years earlier with bulk foreclosures after the 08 meltdown. We were renovating a ton of foreclosures um, and offering management, offering full rehabs. But we found the new construction took a lot of involvement, a lot of headaches away, got us into better areas. So our job is to, to help mitigate risk and time. So our overall goal, Ash, so you know, with our investors is they shouldn't have to spend more than 15 to 20 minutes a month on their investment. They are property owners, so there is involvement. But we've tried to set up our systems of building in the right areas to new construction standards with great management where their involvement is very limited. You are the builder. You are the property manager. Is that correct? We are the builder. We are the property manager. And we always bring in members of our team. And what that means is, Ash, when I first started even doing bulk foreclosures back in the day, people would say, well, who do you use for a mortgage company? Who do you use for insurance? So for our buyers, we also provide all of those other team members that you're going to need, a good lender, uh, a good insurance company, uh, title, all of those things are within our wheelhouse. Although we might not have a financial affiliation with who we recommend, it goes back to that simple thing for me and my partner. You know, we've bought a lot of properties. They say, well, who do you personally use? And that's who we recommend. And Jim, I want to be clear. If I purchase one unit in one of your developments, um, it's my unit. I can use it whenever I want. Mm -hmm. I can choose to have you rent it out if I don't ever want to use it. You handle the maintenance. Vacancies, you will deal with that. You'll do the lease ups. Yep. And when it is vacant, I don't get any revenue. Uh, but whether my neighbors are vacant or full has no impact on me. It's my own property, it's right? It's your own property. So this look, funds and syndications are great. Ash, and I invest in them personally, but sometimes we've forgotten the, the high benefit of direct property ownership. And so, yes, you own this property and we're there to serve you. But if you end up saying, hey, I want to management myself, that's your choice. If you want to say, hey, the market's going up, I want to sell it. That's your choice. Um, you, are, you are the owner. We, at that point, work for you. After you find a long-term tenant, can I fire you as a property manager and save that money? No problem. Or once the contract expires? Well, we have a one-year contract for that. So you, you, you would have a break fee if you go in after a year. Uh, but so you know, Ash, we're always trying to get people off on the right foot. I think that's why we've continued to do volume, not only because of new construction, not only because we're in high growth markets in Florida, but we're always trying to set people up for what they want. That's less headaches and more cash flow. So two things we offer to our people. First of all, on almost all of our projects right now, we're offering one free year of management. 
So that monthly management fee is waived for the first year. And that goes right to your bottom line to help cash flow. The second thing that we offer is in-house financing. So if you walk in off the street right now to a mortgage company, you're probably getting quoted on, let's say, a duplex at eight and a half percent. Right now, with our in-house financing, where we're pre-buying mortgages, we're locking people in at 5.75%. So we're talking nearly 3% less than the going rate out there. And obviously, that goes right to your bottom line cash flow. Is that on a 30-year note? 30-year note. We have both a 30-year fixed product. We also have a 30-year amortization loan that's 10-year fixed. Got it. Jim, what's the return anticipated on a deal? If I buy today on a product that you have available, what kind of returns do I get? You know, it'll vary from market to market. Um, but again, you're looking at a five to seven cap on a new construction property. Are you building in cool resort areas near Disney, near the water? Yeah, good question, Ash. We get that a lot. Let me tell you where we're not building. Because when everyone hears of Florida, they hear, they think of Miami, they think of Orlando, they think of Tampa. And those are the three places we're not building. And why? It's our job to always be looking out for the second tier, more affordable markets. Because as you know, the more affordable markets that are also growing have the best chance for cash flow. So we're building in other markets like Jacksonville, Palm Coast, Ocala, some surrounding areas of Ocala. And then we're in about seven different markets in the greater Fort Myers area. And Fort Myers was the fastest growing area in the nation through the pandemic. So these, again, aren't the top tier markets you always hear about. But we're in these other markets because they have population growth. They have great economic growth. The affordability index is very strong there, which, as you know, means the average family income compared to the average median price of a home is very healthy. Uh, And they're desirable areas, good draws, warm weather, near water, uh, and they're behind on housing. So we stick to those areas. Jim, do you focus on a niche, workforce housing, elderly, young people? Workforce housing. Absolutely. You know, it was it was, uh, I think, less than 10 percent of all new builds in the U.S. were showing for units under 1300 square feet. Uh, And this is in the residential realm. So that means there's really no large builders out there wanting to build duplexes, wanting to build quads. You know, there's weird little in-betweener below commercial. um, And also most big builders stick to those bigger, fancier uh, single-family homes that have more of a, a profit spread for them. We're willing to go lower margin and focus on the workforce housing. You know, duplexes is like having almost like your own home, but not at that high a price. So it gives affordability to people. Same thing with quads. Jim, I'm going to assume that your target market are all of those people who wanted to cash in on this real estate boom that we've had over the last almost 15 years. And they made the mistake of buying the house down the street and thinking, cool, I'm going to become a real estate investor. I'm now a landlord. I got a house. I'll get a tenant. And then the headaches start, right? Furnace goes out, problem tenant. And investing in single family homes wasn't all that it's cracked up to be. Is that an ideal investor for you? The ideal investor is someone who's just that. They don't want to have that second or third job, but they know they want to be invested in real estate. They've probably tested it on their own. And if I've learned anything with doing thousands of old foreclosures compared to new construction, the headaches, the surprise repairs, the involvement on older homes is much different than new construction. So yes, there are a lot of people, Ash, that have started to try, but their involvement the surprises were not something they want. We try to take the surprises out of it 
with the new construction, with our warranties, with our management in place. So there, there's a little more separation. They're involved, but not over-involved, and we take care of the headaches. Yeah, and typically one bad tenant uh, gets people out of the game. It's just more than they want to deal with. Depending on the state that you're in, too, one thing I've learned is landlord laws vary very heavily from state to state. Uh, so I'm always coaching investors now to be investing in in states that have better landlord laws. And that's why we are heavily focused in Florida, because we feel like as a landlord, we get that support. Jim, early on when you got started, you were fixing and flipping houses. And then all of a sudden you decided, hey, why don't we start building these? You make it sound really easy. Can you talk us through that journey? Yeah, they're definitely different, uh, especially different projects. And I was the old dog learning a new trick. I had been rehabbing houses for 15 years. But the availability of homes of these fixer-uppers was a lot less. There were more people jumping in. And also their prices were getting pushed up so heavily that you'd have to cut corners on, on your rehab budgets. And I didn't want to do that because that just creates more problems for us or our investors down the road. So the new construction almost came out of a need. And yes, we learned, Ash, there are a few more components. There is a larger barrier to entry uh, to do new construction than there is to find an old house and fix it up. However, now that we've gone through the mechanics many a times, especially with infill lots, you know, we're not talking about taking a huge piece of land and developing it into lots and then starting to build houses. We do do that, but no, that's, Man, that can take two, three years to get started. You have to have a large amount of patience and, and a bigger reserve to do those. But for smaller people out there looking to do this, they can find one infill lot and test it on one property. Probably the same way they did where they found that one fixer-upper and then tried to do it uh, and see how it went. So there is a larger learning curve there and a few more extra steps in the beginning. But in my opinion, Ash, they can be overcome either by yourself or there are builders like us out there that if you find the lot, we'll buy the home for you. We'll build the home for you. Jim, a lot of syndicators, a lot of really big syndicators have moved into build to rent. Is this just trendy? Is this going to last? You know, from what people are saying, it is going to last. And the reason why um, the, the residential realm is in high demand and we're behind on housing. As you guys have talked about on the podcast before, you know, since 2008, we were already behind on housing and we've never caught up on the growth demand in a lot of major areas in the U.S. And the build to rent fills that niche, especially on the affordable housing. And it's seen as a safer return. The residential real estate has always seemed to have a little less volatility than some larger commercial niches. And so I believe it's a place where people feel like they're getting the bigger growth ability of commercial, but in that residential space. And we haven't seen less money come in. We've seen more. And again, this is pretty educated money that's coming into it. The Wall Street Journal has spoken about it a lot. And I understand the sensibility of it. In fact, when you looked at the larger fund groups that went in and bought a ton of old fixer-uppers, they've done okay because of the market. But they had a lot of pain up front with figuring out how to get those done. The new construction takes a lot of that pain away and it's more predictable and more sustainable. I'm trying to poke holes in your story, man. What, what are the risks? What are the downsides? Well, you want to, again, some of the risks are 
I don't encourage anyone building a home in a landlord unfriendly area. You got to be able to collect your rents. Also, if you're going to invest with a build to rent builder, you want to make sure they have a track record. As you said, Ash, is this going to last? People are going into it. So in anything that gets you know hot, there's going to be new people that jump in and say, hey, we do build to rent. So I'd ask that simple question. Do they have a track record? You know, I believe that a builder that's done specific build to rent properties on at least 500 projects has hit stride. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't work with someone that's done less than that, but know that they're still starting out or they might just be dabbling in the space. Are they committed? You know, I always ask that question. Are you interested or are you committed? So that's one of the risks. As you said, a lot of people are popping up. And also, if you're going to try it on your own, you know, there are a few more components and steps to doing a new construction home opposed to a fixer upper. And you just got to learn those steps. That's one of the most important things. You know, as a, as a home buyer, you always want to avoid those cookie cutter neighborhoods, right? Because you're bound by those comps. Is that what you're doing? Are you building hundreds or thousands of homes that are identical? We are building, so our number one niche, which a lot of other larger build-to-rent people we think are missing the boat on, is going to existing neighborhoods and buying up all of the infill lots. And infill lots just means you go into an existing neighborhood and you buy all the lots that are just sitting vacant. This is, again, my old school training, Osh, was to look for, you know, those neighborhoods that had a mixture of homeowners and renters. You know, 50-50, 60-40, you want ownership in there to give it pride of ownership, better value. You go to, quote unquote, the all investor owned neighborhoods. That's that can be, a, you know, a little tougher to resale, more turnover, tougher tenancy. So we go to existing neighborhoods priced right around the median or below and we buy up all the infill lots and we'll build our single family homes and duplexes in there. And there'll be a little variation in our model. But again, the neighborhood is already established. There's lots of pride of ownership for a good, solid middle class area. You and I would have no problem walking around there nine o'clock on Saturday night to collect the rent if we needed to. You don't have to because you got management. But if we needed to, we could do that. So we do build whole neighborhoods as well for some of our larger institutional buyers. And that's what they want. They want it all in one place. I think those are the areas that are going to have more of a, a restriction because of that similarity to comps. But again, those bigger buyers are looking at kind of things on a different level and that's their choice. But for our smaller um, individuals, we feel that one of the secret sauces of our business, which is really scaled it, is that ability to go into an area, buy up all the infill lots in an existing neighborhood and make that the powerhouse for their spots to invest. I like that because the solicitations that I've received in my email are, you know, massive developments of probably hundreds of homes that all look the same, cookie cutter, almost look like military barracks, right? Um, and mm -hmm. I get it. It gives people exposure to real estate. I like your model. You're going into existing neighborhoods um, versus creating sterile environments, and sterile neighborhoods. Yeah. We'll, we'll also go in and buy out final lots in a development. So one thing you'll learn about big builders is they get jumpy. They want to finish the project they're on and get to the next project, right? 
So we'll follow around some of the national home builders that they buy lots from us and then we'll watch their projects. And let's say they've built a nice big neighborhood, new construction homes. The majority of them are owner occupied, but there's only 30, 35 lots left in this development for them. They're like, ah, we don't want to bother with them. Let's get to the next big project. And we'll raise our hand and say, we'll buy them. And we'll grab those last group of lots and then put some of our build to rent properties in there. Now you're getting the best of all worlds. And that's a great strategy for everyone involved. Jim, everybody wants to jump on this Airbnb craze, right? They want to buy a house in Florida that they think they're going to use all the time and they really don't. But for whatever reason, they feel good about having a vacation home. And now they could tell all their friends they've, they've got an Airbnb property. What if you are managing one of my build to rent properties? Can I ask you to Airbnb it for me? So we do not manage Airbnb. We can refer you to someone. We used to do it. It's just not something we do right now. Um, in my portfolio, I own a few uh, vacation rentals, Airbnbs. But something interesting has been happening in Florida. And this is where I tell people, our job is to always take risk off the table, Ash. And we know what our returns are for our long-term rentals. Now, when you look at the short-term rentals, they can have a much higher cash flow return if the numbers line up. Now, what I'm seeing, some of my properties that are now, that I've done short-term on, um, they, I was into them very deep. I owned them originally as long-term rentals. So I Airbnb'd them. I did that for a few years. What I've actually seen now, Ash, is two things happen. The vacancies have gone up tremendously in really strong areas, even in Florida, because so many people have tried to get on the Airbnb train. And that's a dangerous thing. So what I said was, wow, you know, some of these properties I was Airbnb and I did well through the pandemic. Heck with it. Rents have gone way up over the last four years. I'm just going to turn them back into long term rentals because the long term rents have gone up. And I've done that with some of mine. The other thing you have to be careful of is is the legalities of Airbnb. We are watching certain areas, especially where we are in Northeast Florida, that have started to ban Airbnbs. I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's right, but I don't get to make that decision. So the concerning part for me is if someone gets into a higher cost home based around the numbers of, of a higher occupancy than they're going to be able to get, and then they can't even Airbnb it because the laws change, they are now in a position of a very nice home, but one with a very large negative monthly bleed. And nobody wants to be in that situation. So again, when it comes to Airbnb, we refer people out if they want to do that. Great. I wouldn't discourage that. But I always tell them, you want to look out for those red flags. And that's why we don't offer them anymore, because I don't want to create more potential risk for our investors. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I know a lot of friends of mine that ended up buying houses in the Carolinas, Florida, mountains of Tennessee to Airbnb. And it didn't quite work out the way that they thought, right? Uh, they did some simple napkin math, didn't realize the fees. My wife the other day was trying to book a house for two days uh, in North Carolina. It was $600 for the two-day rental, but $1,500 when you add up all the fees and cleaning. And I, yeah, I don't know how that model continues to thrive. At the fees and you know what Airbnb and these short-term rental companies take off the top, it's pretty impactful. So I, I agree with everything you said. It's a lot. And, and Ash, people have to be careful when they got these original performers, they were promised normally 21 days a month. 
And if they end up, they're only renting them for, let's say, six or seven days a month. Whew, that is a big step back from what they were projecting. Jim, I'm trying to think right now, if somebody goes out to buy a single family house, they're paying close to 8% on their mortgage. Why wouldn't everybody, if I, if I want to buy a house for my family to live in, why wouldn't I just come to you and get that 5.75% rate on a 30 year and live in one of your houses? The I don't know, Ash. And people know what we're doing. We've made it public. One thing that we feel very lucky about is you have to have a pretty healthy balance sheet to be able to get a bank to do these with you. And, and we're in a good position right now to be able to do that. Uh, but I think it's just people don't know about it. And I can tell you, someone's and we do sell some of our homes retail. The retail rate we're getting is even lower than that. Um, this is the investor rate on duplexes or quads that I was quoting you. So I think it's just lack of knowing, or sometimes people honestly think, what's the catch? This is too good to be true. How could we be getting quoted at the mortgage store for eight and a half percent and you're locking us in at 5.75? How is that possible? And I think people, once they understand and we explain what pre-buying mortgages, they get it. But I, I think some people are just shell-shocked at that number and they're like, ah, it's got to be a scam. They, they can't be getting it. Hey, if I get the deed to the house, I'll sign a 30-year mortgage. Let's go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> What's next on the horizon for you guys? Because a lot of people are coming into your space doing build a rent. How are you going to stay ahead of your competition? Momentum and, and staying open to always fine-tuning our model. You know, the things that we've learned over the last nine years of doing this, extraordinary. Over the last three years of doing this, even more. So we're always trying to fine tune our model. And I believe that momentum is going to be huge. A lot also people are stepping into the space, but they don't have the knowledge to build and they also don't have the, the land. You know, we are still sitting on over 5,000 lots in key areas of Florida and we're a self builder. We don't have to go to a builder to try to negotiate terms. We are the builder where we, we build in house all of our projects. We're our own builder. And that helps with the overall numbers we're able to get things done for, for ourselves and our clients. And that's a, a major thing. So if people have to go elsewhere to pay more and have less control, that's, that's not very attractive. And I think that's one of the things that keeps us in, in front space. Jim, how often do you have the opportunity to build quads? Because for me, you know, I get the single family, the duplexes are more appealing. Quads would be incredibly appealing. Oh, yeah. Quads are kind of the unicorn, right? They're a little bit of a unicorn because they're just under the commercial realm, but they give you the maximum for one loan and you still get that great financing rate of residential long-term. Uh, quads are harder to get approved, but once they do, they sell very well. We, again, before, when the pandemic first started, we took a huge risk. We said things are either going to go really wrong or really right. And we, from our research said we think it's going to go really right. And we stacked up on quad buildable land, stuff that we knew we could get approved or would go through. So we do a number of quads. Um, and for a point, we were sold out for about two years because it takes a while for it to approve. But now we're just starting to release several projects of quads uh, that are selling quite nicely. And just like you talked about, why, Ash? Because people want to get banged for their buck. You know, you're getting the most amount of tenants under one roof with a residential loan. Um, they are still in that, you know, residential area, uh, which people are attracted to. 
uh, and have the highest cash flow opportunity of a residential property. So we are putting on the ground several quad developments. And yes, they are doing very well for the same reasons you're probably thinking. Jim, do you manage all of these properties in-house or is it outsourced to a third party? No, we manage in-house. And actually how this whole venture started is um, my, my partner now, him and his father at a large management company, and they took over my personal portfolio years ago. So we were in the management game before we were in the building game. So as they were managing, you know, a lot of my older properties, that's when the idea sparked to say, hey, why don't we start to build our properties? We have a building license. And again, this was about a decade ago. Let's start to build a few and see how it goes. And as we built properties, we saw, and we only started in Northeast Florida and then grew up from there. We saw an important factor that we were going to do in every new market. Before we start to build in a market, Ash, we set up management in that market first. So we manage in all of our markets as we've extended out our property management company to manage all these markets. And we will not go to a market unless we're building at least a bare minimum of 100 individual properties because we're setting up management first and we have to have that economy to scale to make sure we can support it and also do the best for you because we all know you can get a great deal on a property, but if you have no management in place, you can still lose money. Yeah, I think you guys have an incredible business model. I'm really trying to poke holes in it. Uh, I don't see a whole lot of them there. If I asked you for a reference from investors that have been with you for a few years, would you be able to provide me with several? Several. We have about 950 active investors and we have some great case studies and great testimonials. If you go to jjplaybook.com, um, that's a great starting point. That's kind of my principles and journey into real estate, something my wife and I wrote up. And there's some case studies of some of our investors. And I'm proud to say we've made many millionaires out of our investors through our build to rent program over the last five years. Uh, but case studies, I think, are one of the most powerful backings that we have in our business right now, Ash, because nine years ago, this was an experiment. Today, there's a lot of proof of concept. Yeah. Jim, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? My advice to people is because I was in the old school of buy as many properties as you can, buy as many houses as you can without really looking at numbers or quality or area. You know, if you just own a lot, you're going to be fine. I don't agree with that anymore. So the advice I give to close friends, to family, you know, what would I do differently, you know, on this 24 year journey, I would own less of better quality with less leverage. And if you can do those three things, then you're able to capitalize, I think, on bigger growth easier. And you're also able to handle any downfalls or sideways markets. And that has been my key. Today, I own a lot less property, but I have way more equity and way more cash flow than I ever have. Jim, what's one mistake that cost you a lot of time or money or both? Not realizing how hefty deferred maintenance can be on older properties. Which is why people shouldn't be buying those single family homes as a one-off. You know, and, and, and not only that, you just, the first few years, Ash, let's say the first three years, you're, you, you got to get a wind at your back. And once the market, if you've gotten it planted in a good market and you start to season it and values start to go up and rents start to go up, you start to get in a good position. But those first three years, I think, are absolutely imperative to get done right. And there's not a lot of room for error, especially for new investors. 
buying an old house that has more deferred maintenance than you figure out can start to crush a new investor. I've watched it so many times and they, they, they just didn't know what they were getting into. And that is the, the absolute knife to the back for a lot of new investors. And so I, I, I caution people on that. I said, if you can buy three fixer uppers in bad areas, you might want to consider getting one solid property in a better area without a lot of deferred maintenance, because you'll probably be in a better position in three years and still surviving in three years compared to trying to jump into that many. And I speak from experience on that. Good advice. Jim, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. What's the best ever book you recently read? Recently read The Alchemist with my teen sons. It's a great book. Jim, what's the best ever way you like to give back? I host family retreats for, uh, for entrepreneurs and their families. One of my favorite things to do. I also do charity house builds in a couple of different countries, Mexico, Costa Rica, Guatemala. Jim, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you and find out more about your BTR properties? Yeah, if you're interested in, in our build to rent program, great starting point is jjplaybook.com. You'll hear more about my story and the principles around our, our build to rent model. You can also go to southernimpressionhomes.com to see our building company directly. And Jim, uh, you have a book that you wrote that uh, I, I remember my wife and Joe Fairless discussing. Can you tell our best ever listeners about that book? Yeah, real estate is magic because it can help you pursue your passions even more. And I always wanted to impact families. I always wanted to have a great family life and help others do the same. And thanks to the funding of my real estate, I was able to write a best-selling number one Wall Street Journal bestseller with my wife called The Family Board Meeting. And this started many a years ago with some humble beginnings. And to watch it grow to over 300,000 families using it worldwide, a lot of my big real estate influencer friends using it with their families has been an absolute gift. It's a short read. It's a simple read. But I've been given a lot of compliments and thanks from many people all over the world now that this one simple little family book has helped revolutionize the relationship they have at home. Uh, and that all was funded by my real estate. So it's a, it's, it's a magic and part of our side uh, journey of 18 summers, we call it. How do we make sure as we build our real estate, our family comes with us and we don't lose that time. And this book was kind of our, our main message to, uh, to give people a starting point. If my wife was here, she would thank you for writing that book because I know she read it and discussed it. So, Jim, thank you on behalf of her. Uh, thank you on behalf of the best ever listeners, man. This was a fun conversation. and Thank you for your time. No, I appreciate it. Good to see you, Ash. Take care. Awesome. Best ever listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share this podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Also, follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day. Hi, Best Ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and Best Ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the Best Ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access. And you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.